0: Graves on Gridiron with Richard Graves. It was a thrilling finale to a fantastic season. The Kansas City Chiefs ran out of Super Bowl 57 as this season's champions raising the Lombardi Trophy for the second time in four years. Patrick Mahomes, not only the NFL MVP, but the Super Bowl MVP. It was a thrilling way to end the season. Welcome along to the show. I'm your host, Richard Graves. This is the Graves on Gridiron Review Show. Graves on Gridiron. With Richard Graves. Yes, welcome along to the show. A thrilling finale in Glendale, Arizona. The Chiefs downing the Eagles. And if we are going to review it properly, we need to do it with somebody who was there in the stadium. Better than that, she was fieldside. It is a warm welcome back to the show to the former member of the Buffalo Bills coaching staff, the Team GB flag football captain, the NFL flag football ambassador, analyst for Talk Sport sideline reporter at the Super Bowl for Sky Sports. Phoebe Shex, have I missed anything out there? Oh,
1: my goodness. I think we need to, like, (laughs) just, like, this girl, we found her. She's going to talk to us.
0: (laughs) It's an impressive list. You've been busy over the last 12 months, and it's all looking good from this side.
1: Yeah, it has been very busy. I feel so fortunate to be in the position that I'm in. Absolutely. And my goodness, you know, I think I landed yesterday back from the States. So still trying to figure out where I am, what time I'm on and all that good stuff. But amazing, amazing opportunity for my second ever Super Bowl.
0: Well, let's start with that because of course you were in LA last year for your first taste of Super Bowl week and the big game itself and then this time of course you were down on the sideline for Sky Sports in the thick of the a- action um, from the first whistle how was that
1: uh i mean that was incredible the view obviously was immense and and for me you know i've never really ever been on my own on camera either so learning how to manage that whilst being in pretty much being surrounded by eagles fans i would say i don't even know how that happened but they were hilarious i mean they Boo at everything. Uh, I think Dak Prescott, when he won Walter Payton Man of the Year, got booed. Uh, everyone got booed. Uh, so it was very much so on point. But hearing all the chants and the noise and, and again, just being there front row center was incredible definitely and and for one of the best Super Bowl games that I personally have ever seen
0: yeah absolutely it's a bit of a cauldron when you're down there during the game it helps to have a cameraman who's been there knows the ropes and has worn the t-shirt before so we'll give a special shout out to Scott Drummond who we both know well he looks yes. after you pretty well and, and certainly made, made it look great down there
1: yeah I mean my goodness he was immense he you know the fact that he kind of helped me out so much and then at the end when we came onto to the field He was like, do this, do this. Because I've also never had to interview people before. So he was my hero. Absolutely. Like, he took such good care of me, made sure I didn't, like, die of hunger or thirst. So, yeah, Scott is immense.
0: Yeah, you have to have your head on the swivel a little bit. And you're there with a the confetti coming down in the midst of it. Lombardi gets uh, walked past you on its way to, to the podium as well. Um, do you need to pinch yourself just for a second?
1: Yeah, I think I still am. I still feel like it's a dream and I can't believe that it's actually happened. And I got to experience this. And I kind of keep looking back through all my videos I've taken from on the field. Be <laughs> feel like this is real. This actually happened only a couple days ago. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. You were right there in the thick of it, witnessing history um, being made as it happened. Let's talk a little bit about the game because, of course, everybody knew about the pressure that was on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, When I had Jeff Reinbold on last week previewing the show, we talked about the pressure of history being on them because in KC, they talk about it being a generational team, but they'd only won one Lombardi trophy. And if you want to be talked about um, in the same breath as the dynasties of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and most recently the Patriots, you need multiple Lombardi trophies. So they were fighting against that. But the the narrative, pretty much, of course, was that the Eagles were the best all round team coming into this Super Bowl. We'd all know about the, the defensive line, 78 sacks. Um, they had a chance to create history themselves. Um, and then the first two drives, of course, both quarterbacks take their teams the length of the field uh, and it's tied at seven uh, and away we go. What were your thoughts at that point?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it was it was key for the Eagles to, you know, and the Chiefs to be able to score on that first drive, right? And, you know, I think for the Eagles, you look at all the stats and you think first team to, you know, score are the ones that tend to take home the Lombardi trophy and, you know, all these kind of run through your minds. I like the way that I feel, I feel like both, teams really stayed true to who they were um, even throughout that first half, you know, going for it on fourth down for the Eagles. And they didn't really seem to waver at all. I mean, I think for me, the one thing I felt was especially um, Pascal, he was really almost overly hyped, like more than any other player on the team. And he ended up being the first player to get a penalty. And, you know, it was, it's just one of those things that you start thinking, okay, These guys may not be as locked in or they may be letting the moment get to them a bit too much. Um, And, and, and again, same with Sirianni, right? Like I loved, first off, the national anthem was incredible and I am a major Chris Stapleton fan. I think there was not a dry eye in that stadium and to see Sirianni like that. I mean, you see how much the moment means to him. And, And I think he did a great job of being able to pull that back, pull it together. But I felt the whole time the chiefs just were, as they have been, right? Even keeled, ready for business. Uh, and I mean, their defense really stepped up, especially in that second half.
0: Yeah, there were a couple of, I felt, of key turning points. And I guess the first one of note came in that second quarter. The The Eagles had the lead. They're driving again. And there was a sense that if they score it and take a two score lead, that this could be a, a long night for the Kansas City Chiefs. Jalen Hurts has been fantastic this season. Um, he surprised many people. He was rightfully in the contention for the NFL MVP award. One thing, one criticism coming out of college was that he occasionally didn't keep control of the ball uh, mm. and inexplicably just changing hands with the ball, trying to protect it from the, the rusher. Yeah. He drops it uh, and it, it almost w- was written, wasn't it the way it bounced into the hands of Nick Bolton?
1: Oh yeah, it was incredible. And I got the opportunity to talk to Nick after the game and, You know, he was just saying how much of a emphasis they put on it, and you could see that from the get go, right? You could see the Chiefs haven't historically been a team that really try and get after the football as much as they have. And I think if you look at, if you look into Jalen Hurts, and as you said, you know he he's had a history of potentially turning the ball over like that, and you know that would be one of the storylines that they have had throughout. But I mean, great awareness around the football. And a really big turning point because it almost then happened again right after that. I mean, they were very lucky that it didn't get turned over that second time.
0: Yeah. And to be fair to Jalen Hurts, it was his one blemish on <laughs> what was otherwise a flawless evening. Perhaps the best game he's played in his pro career.
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, he was he was brilliant. The game plan was great. And, and literally like that first half was everything they wanted it to be. They were moving the football, you know, they're they've got one of the best O-lines in the NFL. They had the run game going. They they just, everybody was kind of taking chunks away. And it was it was really a shame to see that because ultimately it's in the Super Bowl. It's the team that makes the fewest mistakes and it's usually the team that has the turnovers that wins.
0: We, we've already said you were down on the sideline. What, what was the thought at halftime? Because obviously we've just seen Patrick Mahomes um, re-aggravate that, that high ankle sprain injury. Seems seemed to be barely able to walk um, off the field, clearly grimacing in pain. And, and yet somehow for all the dominance, the Chiefs only had the ball for eight minutes and six seconds in, in that first half. The fact they were only down by 10, it's something we're going to hear about again and again during the off season. I've already heard it um, a number of times. Being down by 10 for the Chiefs is when they seem to come alive in the postseason.
1: <laughs> yeah, and their defense stepped up so big. I mean, the fact that, if you think that your defense is on the field for that long and they still, by the end of the game, have more gas in the tank, I mean, that says so much about them and, and what schematically they're able to do in their mindset, but watching, watch. So where, where Mahomes comes off the field was literally right in front of us. And literally he was visibly, you know, when you're so hurt, you're having to like breathe out just to function. And, you know, Chad Henney was getting warmed up on the sideline. Who knew what they were going to be able to do in that second half? And and I think, again, we've seen Mahomes come to life after, the, after his injury in, in the championship game and and really put himself on the line to get them into that winning position. So it's not really a surprise that he was able to come out and just manage the game, make the same magic happen that he's been known for, because that that's what's so impressive. I mean, and to come on after being off for so long and just treat it like – it was the start of the game. It was like they started brand new. Again, everyone coming off. Chris Jones seemed a little bit, you know, I think maybe frustrated, but I think it was also a combination of of being tired going into the half. But again, they came out like a brand new team. Yeah, I mean,
0: you spent a, a year on the coaching staff for the Buffalo Bills uh, a few years back. You know how players are um, during the course of, of a game. What was your gut feeling, there when you saw – the reaction from Mahomes when he went off. I mean, he had the luxury, obviously, of having an extended halftime time show with Rihanna lighting up the State Farm Stadium there in Glendale, Arizona. But given he was in so much pain, your gut reaction?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't know if he would be playing the second half, really. You know, especially... But we talk about it, right? This is where players know that it's, it's this or nothing, right? This is your last game... Thirty minutes, essentially, and you're done. And I think when you've got someone like Mahomes who has such a strong mindset, combined with Andy Reid being able to game plan and and really create his own version of magic, you know, I think that that's where you really see the toughness of players come out because you think that this is it. And and also they've been in this position before, and they've you know, and they've made it to the championship before, and they don't want to keep getting here because that was another narrative alongside of it is maybe this is the last time they're able to achieve that or, you know, they I think they had even going into the game versus the Bengals, they had a a billboard that said revenge. You know, and they really feel strongly about this. They wanna they wanna be here more so than anyone else because they think people are going to start saying, Hey, you're almost there every time. You're always the bridesmaid, never the bride.
0: <laughs> well, absolutely. And that's not a moniker that they wanted it and they did well to Avoid it. I mean, I, I know in the, the last several days since Super Bowl 57, um, many analysts have spoke at infinitum about Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, the, the four second-half drives all resulting in scores. But realistically, the narrative going into the, this game was this defensive line for the Philadelphia Eagles. They were four sacks away from equaling the record set in 84 by the Chicago Bears. They're leading by 10 coming out of halftime. This was made for them. What was it not? And yet to to not even have a single sack in the game, that wasn't in the script.
1: No, and they, they're a team that live off of that sort of momentum and those explosive plays, whether we're talking about downfield with your matchups with Smith and A.J. Brown or defensively with Reddick getting after it or forcing fumbles, you know, they really live on that momentum. And I think for them to not be able to get that is quite frustrating because I feel like if they had just one turnover or one real sack that that could have really changed the energy coming in that second half. And they just weren't able to, I mean, credit to the chiefs offensive line, you know, Andy Reed did a great job of again, moving the pocket, getting people in to help block and help protect Mahomes. You know, whether it was chipping someone on the way to the flat Pacheco, I mean, he was incredible, right? He was able to get that run game. Every time they had, their first possession. Give the ball to Pacheco. Give the ball to Pacheco. And and that worked he for He was them. physical
0: as well in his style on, so, on Sunday night.
1: So physical. And that's what he's known for. I mean, Reed said how how much of an energizer bunny he is for that team. And you can see it out there. He is relentless. And and I think that was one of the things going to this game. The Eagles are such a physical team. You've got to really match that physicality or they will just run all over you.
0: What was the point then in that second half when you thought, hang on a minute that the Chiefs are in this game? Was there one play, one moment when the, the whole feeling down there on the
1: sideline changed? I think a lot of it was when they got closer in the red zone and they had those two identical flipped plays and there was a the defensive, basically lack of communication, right? They blew, blew the coverage on the same play, both went for Kelsey. I think, I mean, that's the epitome of Andy Reid and what he's able to do with different personnel groupings and you know the way he moves people around on the field. That was really key because I'm like, all right, you've seen this play now. It's the same exact thing, and he's still on an island in the end zone. And I think for me, that is where you get that frustration because, firstly, as as secondary, you start to look to each other and be like, I thought you had that. I thought you had that. And, And that's where that kind of inner turmoil starts. And you know those are two plays that they will never, ever be able to get back.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and we'll talk about the touchdowns, the, the passes by Hurts, the plays by Mahomes. It, for me, the play of the game, and I, I'm keen to get your take on this, will be one that won't often be spoken about when history looks back at Super Bowl 57. Jerick McKinnon could have retired saying, I scored the walk-off touchdown to win the game <laughs> for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Um, I, you talk about heads-up plays, and I've seen it in the regular season before, but in that moment, that instance, that atmosphere that stage that that was that was savvy
1: talk about situational awareness, you know I mean, and that's something that they will have said right they were either it's you know on the headset to Mahome's reminding everyone, hey, if this is where you get to, do not score a touchdown, be smart and that's something that they practice so much of these situations, but the self control the restraint, and the awareness that he had to have in that moment realizing he's about to go into the end zone, slides into on the one yard line and gives really seals the deal because eight seconds left on the clock is, you know, maybe they've, they've done it with 13 seconds. That is not an average team. You know, you cannot not, most teams cannot do that. So, I mean, that was, that was incredible. That was like a major, wow, this team are our next level.
0: What would be your abiding memory then from Super Bowl 57 Phoebe?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, you know, what, easy question. <laughs> I know there's so many. I mean, just even being there, really, like at the end when you actually see the confetti come down, that is incredible. I, I I don't know how to describe it because it's a mixture of the confetti, the sound of fans, of family, of the players being emotional and you know so elated, like you've given everything, and it's almost like that whole culmination. And he, I feel like I just want to bottle that up and keep it forever.
0: <laughs> and if you're not a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs, I guess the worrying concern is that the entire coaching staff's coming back next year. Um, by and large, they're, they're in a position now where they can keep the, the core of this team together. Juju Smith-Schuster was on a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. He's already said he wants to be back if they'll have him. I guess his agent will try and work out a, a deal there. Um, yes. They're not going away, are they?
1: No, and I mean, Juju stepped up. He was a big target in the second half of the game. It was great to have him. I mean, for a team like that to keep their whole staff together is massive. Because after Super Bowl, you know, we've already seen with the Eagles, the, the coaches start to get pulled to other teams. And, you know, whether that is, I think that's partly the Andy Reid effect. People want to be around him. People want to learn and, and really absorb as much as possible. Because enemy easily could have a head coaching job. You know, there's a lot of these coaches that could.
0: Well, I, w- I want to speak a little bit about Eric Bieniemy because he, he appears to have been overlooked again. I heard a, an incredible uh, statistic um, earlier today. He is now 0 for 16 in head coaching job interviews, which, which seems remarkable because the knock on him seems to be, oh, well, Andy Reid calls the plays. But yeah. look, he's been the offensive coordinator with KC now since 2018. They average over 31 points a game, in that period. And if you're really going to be picky about, well, he doesn't call the plays, look at some of the head coaches that, that are currently in position. Nick Sirianni with the yeah. Eagles, for example. Zach Taylor at the Bengals. You know, these are, have been to the Super Bowl each of the last two years. Um, Mike McDaniel at Miami. Again, Kyle Shanahan calls the plays in San Francisco. Are, are you surprised that nobody's given Eric bien an opportunity?
1: Absolutely, because even if you're not Look, when you get to a head coaching role, it is so much people management more than anything. And if as someone who's been around as for Eric Bieniemy to be around Andy Reid, you're going to absorb so much more than just the Xs and Os. I mean, look at the way he manages his players, look at the culture he creates. Look at all these things that are intangible that Bieniemy will have naturally just absorbed through being around him and being around these great coaches. And for him to be overlooked, it really makes you wonder what What is happening in these interviews that they're thinking, no, because it can't, it surely can't just be an X's and O's situation. Because honestly, if you're, if you're a offensive minded head coach, okay, well, I'm going to make sure that I bring in an offensive coordinator who can, you know, I can collaborate with if that's really what I want and they can call the play calls. Or I'm also going to make sure that I bring in the best defensive coordinator that can make up for whatever my lack of knowledge in, in defensive play calling.
0: Yeah, well, the the loss for the rest of the NFL is certainly uh, Kansas City's gain, without doubt. Uh, Looking across to the Eagles, obviously, both their offensive and defensive coordinators have now got head coaching roles with the Cardinals and Colts, respectively. Um, They've got some decisions to make as well, haven't they? They've got a a number of of free agents, certainly on the defensive side of the ball. They had a number of players on one-year deals. And Jalen Hurts, remember, was a second-round draft pick. They don't have the luxury of the the fifth-year option with him so he's going to be eligible for for a deal
1: now. Yeah, and this is where it's always interesting when it starts coming into the money talk really and you know, I was listening to something about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase said he's going to make sure that whatever salary he takes, it's going to benefit the team. And that's something that a lot of these teams are having to think about. You think Brady when he moved to Tampa Bay, he took a lower a lower salary because he wanted to make sure he had his guys around him. It comes into How much do you want to win? How much are you willing to sacrifice or, you know, take a cut for your team? And I think that's going to be really key in these moments. Do you want to try and get all the people you need together to get to a Super Bowl? Or are you worried about how much you get paid at the end of the day?
0: What's your good instinct at this point? I appreciate we've got free agency, we've got the draft to come, and there's a whole other regular season to play out first. But crazy. are the Eagles going to be in a position to be competitive and challenging to be in the Super Bowl for the next several years? Or, as we've just laid out, are the roster moves that are definitely looming now for them going to be too much to to overcome?
1: You know, it's really hard, and I think it's crazy, really, that the Bengals have been able to kind of – Get back to and be as successful. You look at the Rams, who did a lot in free agency and and how they've had that Super Bowl hangover essentially. I worry with the changing of OC and DC and all of the free agency, really, and, and the people they're going to have to pay. I worry that they are going to be in a situation where they're not able to get back to another Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts is amazing, absolutely, but the way that they game plan for him. It was so clean. It was so clear. It made the decision-making easy. It gave him control. I don't know how many other offensive coordinators are going to just want to run the same thing. They'll always want to run their own piece. So for me, I I want them to be able – I think they will be successful. I don't know if next year they're going to be able to get back to this exact place, though.
0: There, no doubt, will be plenty of moves in the weeks and months to come, um, Phoebe, that that will give us perhaps an inkling as to how that's going to go, and plenty uh, of minutes and hours uh, spent talking about it as well. What about for you, though, now? Because the season doesn't end here for you, does it?
1: Never. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, really just working with NFL Flag now, so especially with their team. So basically, all the NFL teams, for the most part, work with Nike to create these secondary age school girl leagues. So I go out to the States, I think mid-March, and then I'm kind of out there for a little bit, uh, working with Green Bay, working with Titans, Jets, all these awesome teams who are really trying to get more girls involved in sport. From a playing perspective, we have a game in uh, in Worcester at Six Way Stadium versus Sweden for our GB women. So that would be cool. We've got our European Championships for flag football this summer, got the draft, got all these amazing things. So it is nonstop. So I've enjoyed these couple of days of, okay, get back to a regular time schedule, whatever that means, and then we go again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I wonder as well, the Pro Bowl, obviously been a lot of conjecture about where that's going because the games weren't competitive. Uh, a leap a little bit into the known this year for the NFL, having a flag football event for its all-star players. Seemed to be a a massive success in Vegas. You were part of all that. How much does that help what you're trying to achieve as well?
1: Big time, big time. Because you have all these kids and young people, I mean, and and adults really, who now, especially in Europe, get to see their favorite players' actual facial expressions and see them and, and recognize and get to know them. And they get to play flag football. And you know, you think how many people have watched that game and think, oh, these professionals are doing it. I want to get involved. You know, there seems to be a, uh, less barriers to participating in flag football, whether you're talking about from a cost perspective, from an X and O's perspective, people can just get involved in it. And there's teams everywhere. And I think, you know, it's going to be massive. Also, the commercials at Super Bowl with Diana Flores, you know, what she was able to do it just highlights the game and puts it on such a pedestal.
0: Yeah, that that advert has certainly garnered a, a lot of time and minutes um, on air since uh, Sunday. I wondered, though, was the competitive spirit just beginning to bubble inside you when when you saw Dana Flores in that uh, <laughs> and the fact that you will probably come head-to-head at some point?
1: Yeah, so she was actually my quarterback in the States. So seeing her and being with her all week has been really cool. I mean, I'm excited for the UK to play her. Mexico are a really, really good team. And they have, they've pretty much changed the style of play for flag football with a lot of double quarterback work. But, I mean, what a great – first off, what an amazing human. She's so humble, so talented. Mm. And that commercial, I think, really is changing the way that people are looking at flag.
0: Yeah, that can only be good, um, for sure. The, the question, I guess, is if you're going to be involved in flag football, um, at grassroots, playing yourself, is there going to be time to see you back on the airwaves next season?
1: I hope so. I w- <laughs> tell them, call them up, look, bring me back. <laughs> this bring is me your back.
0: opportunity. I'll sell yourself, Eva. <laughs>
1: i got to take lessons from you. You've nailed it, (laughs) though. All the hints and tips, send them my way.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, look, it's great to catch up with you. I'm glad that you're not requiring the matchsticks to keep you awake at the moment. And you've got the best part of a month, I guess, now just to relax, uh, digest everything that's happened before you go again.
1: Yes, indeed. And it's so great to catch up with you. And next year, hopefully we'll both be at the Super Bowl. Next year,
0: we're both out there. Vegas, what could possibly go wrong?
1: What could possibly go wrong?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Phoebe Schechter, thanks for your time. Um, I know you're a busy lady and in demand at the moment. Great to break down um, what happened in Glendale, Arizona at Super Bowl 57 Uh, We will definitely catch up again soon. Um, For everybody watching the show and listening, uh, this will be it for a few weeks, uh, but around free agency, the draft, we will have special shows around that. And if anything else... Um, It pops up as well. You can bet your bottom dollar that Graves on Gridiron will be back with you as well. It's been a fantastic season. Plenty of highs, a few lows. But for the Kansas City Chiefs, one very memorable Super Bowl. So long, everybody. Subscribe to Graves on Gridiron wherever you listen to podcasts. And keep up to date with the latest on Twitter. Search for Richard Graves 1. That's Richard Graves, the number one.